horror genre is one vast explored. Every dark corner and unreachable place has been probed by the wandering eyes of storytellers galore at some level. But the deeper, darker spaces of the vast catacomb of horror are yet to be ventured through. Until now. I'm Peter DeToro. And I'm Brent Lalo. And this is Spinning a Yarn, The Dark Descent. Hello everyone and welcome to the storytelling podcast you didn't know you needed until now, where we tell stories of the spooky variety. We've each picked a topic, Brent and I, to discuss and talk about. Now my friend, my compatriot, if you don't mind, might I be the first on this podcast to reveal my topic? You may go ahead and reveal your topic. Wait, before you reveal a topic, let's explain how the show works. <laughs> Oh. We kind of just jumped right into it. Let's next step, next step, next step, back, step, back, step, back, step, back, step, back, step, back, step, bring it back, bring it back. So, <laughs> so the show is divided into two parts. Part one is Brent and I will each discuss the topic that we've decided to bring in this episode. We'll talk about the history of it, facts about it, whatever we see fit. And then after that, we will, together make an outline, summary, general thing. Gist, perhaps. A gist of a story centered around those two items. And that's the show. So Brent, if you would like to start us off on our very first episode, you may go ahead. Before I reveal it, I just want to let y'all know why I picked it. I wanted to choose one of my favorite cryptids of all time. Now, for those of you who don't know what a cryptid is, it is an entity that is believed by many people, people in the real world, and yet many people, a majority of people in fact, believe to be false. So I chose my favorite cryptid of all time, and that, of course, is the platypus. What? <laughs> that, of course, is the platypus. You see... Before the platypus was scientifically proven, many people thought it was a complete and utter hoax. In fact, the first taxidermied platypus ever presented as evidence of the platypus was sent from Australia to Britain. And the first thing, the very first thing that these scientists did was they took a pair of scissors and tried to cut off the bill, because they believed that it was sewn on by taxidermists as like, you know, just kind of screwing with them, just a little joke. So when you say cryptid, you mean a cryptid of the past, not a current cryptid? No, not a current cryptid okay. at all, a cryptid, of, well, actually, I would consider it a current cryptid. It is a proven cryptid, is what I would say. Okay, I guess that's fair. I love platypi. Platypuses. I think platypuses is actually right. Uh, actually, I did some research on this. The correct plural for, pla for the platypus is actually... Well, there isn't one. There's three. Platypi, platypuses, and platypodes. Platypodes? Platypodes. I like platypodes. All three of these are technically correct. I love... Yeah, I love platypus. They're they're one of my favorite animals, probably top five. Ah, yes, you mean platypi. Sure. <laughs> uh, the platypuses, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, just a few other facts I found quite interesting about these. I think probably my favorite. I'll start with my favorite and work down to the 
lesser interesting ones. Okay, of course. They don't have teeth. Which in itself isn't that interesting. What's interesting is to compensate for this, when they scoop up their food in riverbeds, they also take gravel into their mouth, and they use the gravel to chew up their food. Oh, that's so cool. It's, it's so cool, man. That's really cool, actually. Oh, dude, that is just the beginning. The platypogs actually have an ability where they have a sixth sense. Their bill can detect, and I kid you not, I... This crap is real. Okay. I checked with multiple sources. I didn't believe it. So okay. So you got a little cryptid with the platypus for a second, huh? <laughs> the bill can detect electromagnetics emitted by every living thing. They can sense living organisms. Really? They can sense them. That's actually terrifying. And since we're making... Uh, I forgot you forgot to say. Dark Descent, which is our our podcast for this this thing we're all making horror stories you know spooky scary and that's a terrifying that has some terrifying implications oh yeah for whatever story we're oh it's about to get even better oh good you're gonna love this crap so look platypogs are one of now i forgot to check if they were the only ones or just one of the only ones but i know they're at least one of one of the only Venomous mammals. Now you already yeah, I, I knew did, this. Yeah, I didn't know this, but tell tell the viewers. In the hind legs of the male platypogs, there is a spur. But I don't know if you knew this part. The venom is only seasonally active for mating season. So what a lot of people believe is they believe this is used to fend off the competition during mating season. Gotcha. Now this venom. This stuff is bloody terrifying, because it doesn't kill you. No, no, no. It just hurts you really bad. And what's interesting about this is... Oh, I don't know if I wound up putting it on here, so I won't know the exact term. But, this venom is resistant and immune to some forms of painkillers. I believe morphine. I believe it's all painkillers. I, I think it was. From what I know, it's like none of the painkillers that we have access to work on it, from what from my research. Yes, and it lasts for a while, too. I believe they said for all of the effect to be gone. You know, of course, it dampens with time, of course. But I believe they said it's anywhere from six weeks to two full months for the entire effect to wear out. So there's other venomous spurs, but they're small, they're small, don't worry, don't worry. Yeah, these things are nuts, like they have so much. <laughs> I used to really like these, you know, I'm never going near one. <laughs> you wouldn't want one as a pet? Not anymore, not okay, anymore. Okay, that's fair. Let me tell you about their feet. So, they have webbed feet, everyone knows they have webbed feet. But what a lot of people don't know is it's retractable. What's, wait, what's retractable? The webbing. They only have the webbing out on their feet when they're in water. It makes them incredibly effective in water, but it makes them less effective on land. But thankfully, for them at least, they can retract this webbing. And what they get in its place 
a claws that they use to dig and burrow. You're giving me this look. I can't make this up, man. They have sharp claws that they can use to dig burrows. So, I'm looking through here. I'm looking at my notes. I'm yeah. not really seeing anything too, too much mode that we can use here, at least. Uh, oh, okay. Do you know when they found the first one? Oh, uh, the first one that was scientific fact, the first one we had true evidence of, was in 1798. Before then, it was myth. Of course, the platypus can only be found in freshwater lakes, rivers, lagoons, farm dams, and streams in the island of Tasmania and the eastern and southeastern coast of Australia. Okay. And they don't have stomachs, which is interesting. What? Oh. Did I not mention? They, they don't, don't have, have stomachs. stomachs? They don't have stomachs. Wait. It just goes straight through. Ew. Yeah. That's like... Oh, yeah. That's... Nope, yep. Thanks. Some human centipede crap. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen human centipede, but let's roll with it. Oh, okay. It's probably best I haven't. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I don't think okay. it's my style. I, yeah. I don't think it's anyone's style. I haven't <laughs> even seen the movie myself. You've just seen some. I mean, not you've even seen... that. I, I just know about it. Is it safe to say you know enough to know you don't want to know more? Oh, yes, for sure. <laughs> exactly. It's a glorious way to live. Uh, my last two. Their tails are used to store excess fat in case of food shortages. And interesting, but you know. Yeah. And my last one. And this one's actually a little upsetting to me because I do, I truly do love the platypus as an animal. And they were actually... going to be sad. Eh, a little, a little. They were actually heavily hunted for a long period of time. Now they're protected. But here's the fact of that, though. The reason they were hunted was for their fur. And the reason their fur is so desired is because it is very thick and almost water-resistant. And that's because for every mil square millimeter of skin, they have 600 to 900 hairs. Wow. Jesus. Oh, yeah. So that's the platypus. Very fun. What about you? I I'm curious. What'd you bring for me? All right. Are you ready? Oh, I'm oh, so gotta, ready. I gotta get it. Yes, it is, it's, a, it's an item, I will tell you. It is an item. It is not a creature. So we'll have fun. I don't think they go together at all. So, making this little story we're going to have to make going to be a good time. Oh, for sure. So, what I've brought for you today, Brent, yeah. is the yo-yo. Ah, the yo-yo from Petrol Flows, I'm assuming. All right, yeah. So, what is a yo-yo? A yo-yo, also spelled yo-yo without a hyphen, <laughs> is a toy consisting of an axle connected to two discs and a string looped around the axle. It has... Some similarities to a different device called a slender spool that I didn't do any research on, but, you know. It's I'm not the yo-yo. It's not the yo-yo, so. <laughs> so screw it. Yeah, right, exactly. So yo-yos have been around a long time. As early as 440 BC, there's a reference to one on a Greek vase. One of those old, like, you know, the ones with the yeah, black yeah. etching on it and that type of stuff. Interestingly enough, they would give, the Greeks, would give terracotta yo-yos, yo-yos made of terracotta, as ceremonial gifts. 
to, I believe, young children. It was either like a coming-of-age thing or... It's hard to tell because, you know, ancient Greece. But and this was the Greeks, you said? Yes, the Greeks. Do we know why they did this? Uh, I wasn't able to find anything on exactly why, but I did know that they were given as ceremonial gifts. The ceremonial ones were made out of terracotta, while normal ones were made out of less expensive materials like, you know, iron and that type of stuff. So they were used for playthings back then too, but they were also used as a form of ceremonial sort of gift. So that's interesting. The first formal yo-yo company was founded in the United States by a Filipino immigrant named Pedro Flores in 1928 in Santa Barbara, California. Now I know this, this podcast is more about the story thing it is us, but should we tell them? When we were in third grade, we had a project to do something about an inventor, and me and Brent spent like six hours looking for stuff that we thought would be fun, but it was all stuff that was discovered and not invented. Like, we looked up who invented fire and who invented radioactive waste, <laughs> and and we were eventually like, we should just do something really, really just, simple, and yeah. so we, we landed on the yo-yo. So we, we have a bit of a connection to Pedro Flores and his story, but did you know Pedro's factory the, the first factory that he did was super successful to the point where, founded in 1928, by 1929, he had three factories across California, and the company was producing 300,000 yo-yos a day. Did you say that was within a year? Within a year, yes. By 1929. <laughs> what a dude. <laughs> Interestingly enough... That company, uh, the I think it was just called the Flores Yo-Yo Company, was purchased by a man named Donald Duncan in 1932. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a proven Brent fact. Don't fact check me on this. This is proven. Take me at my word for it. Pedro Flores, due to his success in opening three factories in one year, is the person who inspired the term dude. That's a proven fact. It's not... This, we're, you're so lucky that this is not marked in any way as an educational podcast, or else we'd be in so much That's trouble. That's a proving fact. Okay, so here's a fun thing that I bet you didn't know, though. In 1933, a year after Duncan purchased uh, Flores' yo-yo company, yo-yos were actually banned in the country of Syria because they were claimed to have caused a severe drought in the country. They caused a drought. Superstitiously, of course. They didn't really. But, I, and again, this was, I wasn't able to find too much information on this, but there was a drought, they managed to backtrack it, and they blamed yo-yos for it, and so Syria banned yo-yos in 1933. I believe that they are not still banned, but if they were, that'd be really funny. Now, Peter, do you happen to know if they fixed the drought by banging yo-yos? I'd assume no. The, this was sort of a little, just a little tidbit of information that I, that in, in my research, but it was funny enough to where I decided to put it in a podcast. That's hilarious, right? Yeah. Yo-yos kind of had a dip in popularity, but in the 60s, Duncan, the same guy from before, made it his mission to prompt a resurgence and started producing more yo-yos, ran TV ads and all that stuff, and was actually able to resurge their popularity and their prevalence in, in the American culture. In 1990, this is another interesting fact about development, Tom Kuhn, I believe is how you pronounce that name, 
made the first wo working yo-yo that included ball bearings, which were able to help reduce friction. For all you kids out there, that's that little disc that's in your fidget spinner. <laughs> oh, you disgust me. Yeah, I know. Don't you, you bring that on our podcast. <laughs> it's tainted from day one. You're right, I know. But yeah, so their yo-yos with ball bearings actually helped reduce the friction when you let the yo-yo sleep, which is when the yo-yo goes down and then when it hits the bottom, it stays there and spins. It doesn't immediately pop back up. That's called letting the yo-yo sleep. And the ball bearings helped with that because they reduced friction that the string had with the axle. That's so, yeah. beautiful. That's uh, just some nice, brief yo-yo history. There's not too many fun facts about yo-yos just because they're an extremely simple, simple toy. I'm good if you're good. Uh, I think we're good. I think we're ready to uh, begin the next part of the podcast. Now, I don't know what you've been thinking of. You've had slightly more time than me. That's true. But I'm kind of thinking... I almost want to do sort of a, uh, one of them there detective horror stories. Detective horror, huh? And here's why. Here's what I was thinking. I'm thinking he could be after a platypus. He doesn't know it's a platypus, of course. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking for protection, he brings along a yo-yo just to kind of bop stuff on the head with, yeah, you know? Yeah, of course, as you do. Now, I don't know where to go from there, but... I like it. May I postulate another idea to you? Lay it on me. Instead of doing a detective, we do a type of, I guess slasher would be the right word, but a type of monster story wherein in a small sleepy rural town. You know I love my small sleepy towns. I'd assume in Australia or Tasmania, there is a giant. Now, let me propose something else, because I think this could get interesting. Knowing that platypi are only native to Tasmania and southeastern Australia, I think we drop this giant platypus somewhere in Greenland. Greenland? Greenland. I know nothing about Greenland to make it an effective setting in a story, but I do like... I, do I don't like, either. I do like it being there. This is going to be the worst interpretation of Greenland ever put to the viewing public. Actually, okay, we can make it kind of similar to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> That's politically correct, right? I honestly, I don't know. I don't know if anyone in Greenland would even I, get yeah, offended. I don't, I don't know if people in Greenland have internet. <laughs> really, we only need to worry about Canadians getting offended. We're going to make an enemy of Greenland in this first episode of this podcast. Hey, man, don't don't stop the host, man. We're here. <laughs> We're here. It's as appealing as a cake in the rain. We're here. So, okay, sure. Let's do it then. Now, here's my thought process here, and here's why I even suggested it. In Greenland, they don't have platypuses. They don't have them in a lot of places. Now, Greenland's a lot more rural than the U.S. I guarantee you these kids in Greenland aren't growing up watching Phineas and Ferb. So I propose they might not even know what a platypus is. Oh, so you're going to lean into this cryptid angle that you've been pushing, huh? Hey, I'm just saying, man, giant monster looks like a cross between a mammal, a reptile, and a bird, of all things. Yes, those are all the right animals. 
Uh, you definitely that look. It lays eggs. It does lay eggs, but I wouldn't ah. say that means it looks like a reptile. Now, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Here we are, episode one. I'm already messing up. But do you mind if I backtrack? There was one more thing I found interesting about these platypuses. Sure, go ahead. They didn't know they laid eggs until 1884. Jeez, that's like a hundred years after they were... From 1798 to 1884, they thought they already knew how strange the platypus was. Wow, that's frickin'. So, Greenland, we got our setting. Greenland. Sleepy Town. Sleepy Town in Greenland. We got the platypus in this story. Now what time, Peter? What time is it? What? Are you asking, like, year? No, no, no. Well, yes, yes. Let's start with that. What year is it? I'd say just now. I'd say modern day. What time? I'd, I'd assume that this story spans over either multiple days or multiple hours at least. Oh, no, no, no. I mean for when we're starting. When we're starting? Let's do, like, early in the morning and early a.m. Ah, you took that the opposite direction I was thinking. Yeah. Here's what I was thinking. Let me propose this to you. Let me give you the pitch. Okay. You're lying in bed. It's just past 11 p.m. as the rain patters on your roof, on the sidewalk, on the streets, when suddenly you hear what sounds like a gravel truck tipping over. Now, you open your window to see what's going on. But you can't see anything, it's dark outside. But it's not a normal dog. It's a dark brown. And it almost looks like fur. Staring out the window into this brown, hairy void, you see the hairs start to bristle and shift in the rain. Almost as if the rain has no effect on them at all. Slowly, the expansive hair gets bigger in your window until a large creature drops down into the road and scraping, sending sparks with long claws, scutters to the end of your neighbor. A beaver-like tail flapping behind it, sharp claws digging into the concrete, and all the while, the sound of a tongue of gravel knocking around everywhere. It turns. It doesn't see you. It can't hear you. But it knows you're there. It knows where you are and that you're watching it. And it turns slowly, menacingly towards your house. You hear low rumble as the creature begins to emit noises, each vibration heightened by the sound of rumbling gravel. Slowly, the creature makes its way towards you, then faster, until it's barreling through the rain, splashing through puddles and kicking potholes. At this point, you know you need to run. So, you go out to your car, turn the key, but it just won't turn. Are you really doing that? Uh-huh. Wait, wait, wait. So, no. no, it's fine. It's a good no, 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 no. <laughs> I just thought of better. Okay. Finally, you turn the key. 
and you speed off as it begins galloping behind you. You know you can't outrace this thing. So, you drive and you drive to a lake house you happen to own. You decide to take solace on a boat and wait for this issue to be handled by the more capable. Reaching into your glove box, you grab your trusty yo-yo given to you by your grandfather. There was always a strange insignia carved on the yo-yo, but you never knew what it meant. Running into the lake house, you grab the keys to the boat and run outside just as the creature breaks down the front wall of the house. Again, letting out the low rumble. Gravel dripping from its mouth. You don't know what manner of creature this is, but you must run. You get to the boat. You turn the key and you speed towards the center of the lake. Finally, you are safe. And turning around, you see that the creature is gone. It must have left you. At least that's what you think. Before you see the water start to shake and hear the low rumble shaking your body to its very core, splashing in a wild array out of the water. The creature lands halfway on your boat, halfway in the water. I'm sorry, man. It's a bloody plan. It is. A, it is. It's so funny. I told myself I wouldn't be the first to crack. I told myself you would crack first. All right. <laughs> As it grips to your windshield, you see its webbed skin slowly recline back into its hands, revealing razor-sharp claws that pierce your windshield. Around its bill, you can see fabric, almost as if from clothing, and a slight stain of red. As the red drips from its mouth, as it looms above you, some of it drips onto your yo-yo, and it begins to steam and bubble and evaporate. As your yo-yo that you have known and loved for all this time begins to glow, the insignia lighting up, you know what you must do. Swinging the yo-yo in a wide loop, you hit the large creature underneath its bill, sending a crack from the back all the way around to the front. The creature lets out a wail as it grabs at its bill, but with its sharp claws, it manages to accidentally dig into the crack, pulling the keratin apart on accident. The creature lets out a cry as it retreats back into the water, leaving a trail of dark crimson in its wake. You see now that you are in far more danger on the lake than on land, so you decide to head back into town. You know not what it was, but you know you won't be able to keep this up without sleep for long. You return to your home, lock your doors, and go to sleep.
I think we should take a break right there. Okay. Collect our thoughts. Yes, I agree. It's a very good intro, though. Oh, very good. Marvelous, truly. So, what kind of angle, what are your angles that you are going after for this? I've certainly picked up a few as we talked, and I want to hear yours. Of course, like, end goals? Um, just what your current thoughts are, how you think you are going to progress this. Oh, well, so we have, what we've set up is we've set up this very, this very powerful monster, clearly. Yes. But one that has already been shown this early in the story, which is odd for most horror, but to be shown this early in the story is harmable and, by extension, defeatable. It seems only by that one yo-yo. So we've definitely set up a sort of chosen hero type of scenario. At this point, I want to interject you and tell you with what my thought process was going. Because I see you're seeing this kind of how I originally viewed it. But as we got to talking, I developed a new plan of sorts. Okay. I've decided I think I want this yo-yo to be satanic. Oh, okay. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but you mentioned oh, like insignia. Did you, did you have any certain insignia in mind? I kind of just imagined like a, a like swirl, a three-pronged swirl. So you didn't have an end goal with that? No. I mean, I, I did have, like, I knew it was going to be magic. I didn't know what specific magic, though. I kind of delegated that to you. Well, here's what I'm... You know what? No. Let me keep this part to myself. Okay. I don't want the listeners to know this yet. That's fair. But there's... I'm, I'm going to tell you, just so you can start preparing. And are, are we calling these acts? Can we... Can we call these acts, do you think? Sure. I guess that would be in Act 1, then. I think in Act 2, there's two bombshells I want to drop. Okay. And I know what both of them are, and I know when I want both of them to happen. Okay. Now, before we get back into it, what are, what all are you going for right now? What are your plans? My current plans are not super story-based with this one. I, I think I, I want to try and tackle, personally, some of the more visceral sides of this story. You know? That's certainly good for me, as we both know, and as the viewers will no doubt learn at some point, that is by no means my strong suit. <laughs> hey, if you make me throw up, just remember, we're in your house here. That would be such history. <laughs> we're in your house here. That's your problem to deal with at that point. Well, I guess you're right. <laughs> Do you mind if I pick it up? Go ahead, Peter. Take it. The next morning, you wake up. Fairly certain it wasn't a dream, but as usual with events like these, unsure. News reports confirm your suspicions, as images of eviscerated and pulped bodies appear on screen. You know the only thing that could wreak this kind of chaos was the creature that you saw, but that's not what anyone else is saying. A psychotic killer, a man with no remorse, that's what they're saying, but you know. You know that your town of Greenberg, Greenland. <laughs> Greenberg, Greenland. Yes. Greenberg, Greenland. Oh, <laughs> can I stop you right here? 
Among a dive into this. <laughs> I, I think... Now, I know these are supposed to be general plot summaries, not really anything too major. Yeah, nothing, not too, yeah too, nothing's final. Nothing too specific. But I want to know the history of this town, Greenberg, Greenland. Step out of my way. <laughs> Greenberg, Greenland was founded in 1950 by explorer John Greenberg. He had always wanted to go to Greenland when he was young, but he realized that to get there, he would need a boat. So he worked tirelessly to make a boat. He named it the Greenboat. Green was uh, John Greenberg's life, and when he finally got to Greenland and founded his town, he could think of no better name for it than his own. Ever since then, the town has been the world's leading exporter of one good and one good only. Might I interject? Yes. Jugs. And here's why. Because John Greenberg's middle name happens to be Ubiquitous, with a U. Initials, Jug. And he knew in his town in Greenland, they must make jugs. Awesome. Are you, are you good on your little history lesson about this town that we made up? I think that's satisfactory. Watching the news report, you notice that most of the bodies are people that you know. Your friends, your co-workers, your colleagues. Living in such a small town does have, it, have its perks, but when tragedy strikes, it... Always seems like it's someone that you know. You decide, since you encountered the beast while away, you are the most equipped to deal with this. But you can't do it alone. Despite your past differences, you decide you must throw them aside. You must go see the town sheriff. You must go find Hank. After your arson charge that you got let off on, you and Hank haven't always been on the best of terms. After all, he was the one who arrested you, but at this point, law enforcement is your only hope, and in such a small town, Hank is really the only available cop. Walking into the sheriff's station, you see far too many empty chairs. You go up to the desk, which is also empty. You know you're running out of time. Walking past, you yell, Hank, I need, I need help. I know how we can beat this thing. It's very- Hank! Hank, I need help. I know how we can beat this thing. I have a weapon. I have a weapon. That can harm it. That can harm it. I don't know if anything else can. I don't know if anything else can. At this point, you hear yelled back. Is that you? Yeah. Ah! Crap! I ain't, I ain't hearing from you no more. Not since the fire. L listen, Hank. Look, I know that you think I caused that fire that killed your dog. Don't you, Hank, I know you think I caused that fire that killed your dog, me. Listen, do you want more people to keep dying? Come in here, you. Okay. You sit down at Hank's office chair. Pictures of the crime scene strewn about the floor. It's clear Hank has been working on this. At this point, you are faced with what will be one of the most important decisions of your life. 
do you give Hank a yo-yo? You don't know what sort of mystical power has aided you at this point. But you know it was connected to your grandfather and it's connected to you. And Hank hasn't been a fan of you in a long time. Can you trust him? Finally, you decide there is no choice and there are no more options. You slam the yo-yo on the table. Hank looks at it quizzically and asks you what it is. You inform him of the events of the previous night. He laughs in your face. Of course he wasn't going to believe you. Laughing at you, doubting you, and despising you, Hank confiscates the yo-yo. But as Hank grabs it, you notice the same bubbling and sizzling that happened when the blood touched it originally. He gives you a look of disgust. He obviously thought it was a trap of some kind. And he handcuffs you and throws you in the jail cell. He says that he's going to go take care of the monster himself, but you know that that won't happen. Hank, slowly, with a pin, pushes the yo-yo into his desk drawer and shoves it. Sitting in the cell, you can do nothing but wait. And you wait. And you look for a way out, but it's difficult to find anything. Anything at all. You begin to hear a rumble. Like gravel in a dumpster truck coming down the road. And soon, time flying in your heightened state of adrenaline. The wall of the cell is torn from the building as you see a dark brown fur. You begin to run, and as you run, you drop to the ground, and a searing pain passes through your leg. You turn, and you see a venomous spur exposed from the leg of this demon creature. You realize that the time is now. You have to kill this thing. Making your moves around it, limping as you go. It knocks you down multiple times by swinging its tail, but eventually you're able to make your way back into the jail cell. Going through the broken door, you go through Hank's desk, and find your yo-yo. Looking at it, it begins to glow again. You smile. You approach the platypus and sling the yo-yo at it, but nothing happens as more red blood oozes from its mouth. The platypus gets down on all fours, staring at you, and the memories start to flood back. You remember the first time you ever used this yo-yo. Your friend Hank invited you over to see his new pet, and you brought your yo-yo to show as well. But when the yo-yo touched the dog, you were shocked to see that it left a mark. Scared and worried, you knew that if Hank saw that, your friendship would be over, so you engineered a little accident. Dropping a glass of water into an electrical outlet nearby, the house went up in a blaze. 
you grabbed the dog by its hind legs and threw it into the nearest fire. And you got out of there with Hank. Sadly, Hank saw through your facade, and he arrested you. As you have this memory, you finally snap back to reality and see the platypus right in your face, kneeled down, almost as if it's bowing. As the blood oozes from the mouth of the beast, it splatters upon the yo-yo, the yo-yo glowing. You notice that the spirals that you had seen on this yo-yo so many times before begin to fill with this dark red liquid. Last night, some had gotten into this spiral, but it had gone. But now, the spiral was fully filled, and it glows. The pain searing through your leg, you can no longer manage. You fall to your knees. And at that point, you hear gunshots and a hard thud as Hank approaches, hitting you with his elbow. He knocks you out and takes your yo-yo. Your body unconscious, you somehow are still able to see. Your vision's different, though. It's almost as if it's looking through a fisheye lens directly at Hank and at your own unconscious body. You feel in your mouth, you feel several small pebbles and sharp rocks. You realize what's going on. Your pet has finally returned. And now, in your state of distress, it has offered its body to you. You slowly rise up. Pain, but from a different source. This time, the bullets in your shoulder. You turn, you search. Where is Hank? You throw your body in between yourself and Hank. But Hank makes a fatal mistake. For him, the town, and you. As the yo-yo brushes against his arm, the energies within it slowly seeping into him, the dark power that fuels this yo-yo. As Hank's eyes begin to burn. As his eyes are lit up in a blaze, you're reminded of that fateful day so many years ago. And you can't help but let out a growl, in the form of a laugh, of course. As Hank is screaming, his eyes a blazing inferno, you descend upon him. First, sticking him with your spur, almost breaking his entire rib cage from the impact. Then you open your mouth, gravel falling out of it, and bite onto his leg, holding it, rolling your two bills to slowly fracture the bone piece by piece. Not used to the mouth of a platypus, however. Hank is able to break free. You made one fatal mistake. You forgot you had no teeth. 
his leg injured, but not gone. Hank rises, ablaze, and swings the yo-yo that your grandfather had given to you, turning its power against you. As the yo-yo hits you, you begin to sense light above. At this point, you begin to hear it. Finally, the propellers of the Greenland National Defense Army. You realize your time has come, but you also realize that you're not you. You're in the body of a monster. And there's only one loose end, one witness you have to take care of. Realizing you can't use the mouth to your full effectiveness, you grab Hank's injured leg with your claws, digging each into his calf. Holding him above you, you swing him in a full circle, slamming him on the ground. Then, slowly, you take your time with the new claws and sever each of his Achilles tendons, rendering him unable to walk. You realize that finishing him will be difficult without a mouth or anything of the sort, so you raise your feet and slam down right onto his head, which you pop like a grape. As the National Guard descends upon you, bullets flying through every inch of your body, you can feel your life leaving your new body and entering your old one. As the pain soars through you once again, seeping, you hear, Sir, are you all right? The light is so bright on your eyes, but you're able to look up. And above you, you see men, but they're not with Greenland's National Defense. Oh, no, no, no. These men are far different. These men have a sinister aura about them. As you look, you see a single insignia on their shoulder as your vision slowly fades. You see three interlocked swirls. We'd like to thank you for joining us in our dungeon today. We hope you enjoyed yourself. As always, it was a pleasure joining you today and telling this wonderful story. I hope that they could enjoy it as much as we did. <laughs> now, if you excuse us, we have to climb up a ladder. Oh, but of course. I wish you all to have a great day. I'm Peter DeToro. And I'm Brent Lalo. And this has been Spinning a Yarn. A Dark Descent. <laughs>